0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are and how you love us. Thank you for the privilege that we have to worship. Thank you, Lord, for your constant protection. And I'm going to pray especially right now, Lord, that you would protect us from the enemy, uh, that you would help us, Lord, to come together in a way that is powerful, and unstoppable, as we had studied in the book of Acts. I pray for your Holy Spirit's presence to be here with us, Lord. I pray, Father, that as we move into this new series, that you would give us just the right words, that we would be able to handle this subject in a way that glorifies you, that is sensitive, and uh, but at the same time, Lord, courageous, and uh, impact the Issues that we need to deal with, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Patrick was always a very caring and protective older brother. He was a natural leader with a tendency to push limits in life, in the classroom, on the football field. His diligence and relentless curiosity amazed almost everyone that he came in contact with. Arizona State University recognized Pat's potential both in the classroom and on the field, and they decided to give him a scholarship to play for the Sun Devils. What Pat lacked in physical size, he more than made up for in intensity as a linebacker. In fact, Pat earned a Bachelor of Science in Marketing, graduating summer cunladeh, and he gained admiration from his professors, his coaches, and and his fans. And his life was doing pretty good. In fact, one day, he got a call from the Arizona Cardinals who selected Pat in the seventh round of the 1998 NFL Draft. And within just a few years, he became the team's starting safety and he broke franchise records in 2002 for the most tackles. Pat's NFL success did not go to his head. In fact, he still drove his same beat-up old truck to practices and to games that he was driving when he was in college. He chose to read and expand his mind daily, and in the off-season, he volunteered with Boys and Girls Clubs, the March of Dimes, and he read to and talked to students in schools all across the Phoenix Valley. And then one day, something changed. It was September 11, 2001, and a terrorist attack that we are still recovering from till this day happened. And it was just so tragic. In fact, in fact, till this day, our motto is, we will never forget. We will never forget. I wonder if you remember where you were on September 11, 2001. The day after the attacks of September 11, 2001, Pat was being interviewed, and he told the reporter these words, At times like this, you stop and think about just how good we have it. What kind of system we live in, and the freedoms that we are allowed. And in the spring of 2002, Pat married his high school love, Marie, and upon his return from their honeymoon, he announced to the Cardinals that he had decided to place his NFL career on hold to enlist in the US Army with his brother Kevin. Well, as you can imagine, this decision shocked many and gained national media attention despite the refusal that Pat had to speak publicly about the choice. Patrick Daniel Tillman Jr. joined the Army Rangers and went on several tours in combat before he was killed in the mountains of Afghanistan. On April 22, 2004, his family finally heard the news that he was killed in action. Now, the army initially claimed that Tillman and his unit were attacked in an apparent ambush on the road outside of a small town called Spadar, near the Pakistan border. It was not until after his burial, catch this, it was not until after his burial that investigations by the Department of Defense and U.S. Congress were launched and eventually ruled that his death was as as a result of friendly fire. Friendly fire. How tragic. Afterward, speculations actually arose that Tillman's, Tillman's death may have been a case of deliberate murder by Tillman's fellow soldiers. I mean, think about that. As time went on, however, uh, there was very little evidence of this, and the controversy still is going on today. In fact, till this day, we still don't know what really happened on that terrible day. In that little village, when they were ambushed. Either way, it was a tragic, tragic outcome. After his death, family and friends of Tillman, including his widow Marie Tillman, established the Pat Tillman Foundation to carry forward Tillman's legacy by inspiring and supporting those striving for positive change in their lives. We lost a brave, Talented leader on that day, and it was all due to what the army calls friendly fire. Friendly fire. This is a term that has been used by the military since World War One, usually resulting from what they call the fog of war, confusion. Uh, often it happens when there's bombardments, and and so you have casualties of. Of of, of the enemy as well as of your own. And and sometimes it happens when there is close combat as it did in the case of Patrick Tillman. It has been a heartbreaking disastrous part of conflict, I would say ever since Cain and Abel. Friendly fire, as if war was not devastating enough, you got to hear about people that die because our own have killed. I struggle with that. In fact, I struggle with this whole idea of conflict. I wonder if there's anyone here that is listening, that is not aware that there's a war going on behind the scenes right now. As the book of Revelation says that the dragon, that old serpent, the enemy, went to make war with the woman, the church. And that that war that started in heaven was carried here on earth and goes on even today. All humanity, you and me, everybody included, is now involved in the great conflict between Christ and Satan regarding the character of God and his sovereignty over the universe. And you and I play a part in it. Whether we like it or not, we are all part of this. Now there's good news, and the good news is that the final outcome of the war has already been decided, when Christ died on the cross and resurrected on the third day. Amen? The bad news is that still a few battles are being fought. But there is still blood on the floor. And it's going to get worse. John 1633 Jesus says these words I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world so it's happening we're in it but we know that at the end Jesus wins and if we're on Jesus' side, we're on the winning side. Amen? I am worried, however. I am worried because I believe that the enemy has done an amazing job, a great job, distracting us from the sober reality of this conflict. Every day I observe, these, these past few months especially, I have seen this, they've been filled with moments of harmony interrupted Solidarity threatened and community disrupted, friendly fire and I see it not only in the world and the polarization that is happening here in the states and all over the world really but I, what worries me is what I see as it is happening in the church. We are being threatened with a much more deadly virus than Covid and I call this virus the us and them virus. We just spent the past few months learning about the power of the early church. The early church embarked on the relentless pursuit of together. Unstoppable. They would not allow the enemy with all these anti-community arsenal, to interfere with their vision of pursuit of oneness. I mean, they, they, they really lived for that. They struggled for that because they knew that, even back then, that the church was going to be affected also. And so Paul spoke strongly about this. In fact, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says these words to believers. These are people that are, have accepted Christ in their lives, are allowing Christ to change their lives. And he says these words, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, that suggests that there might have been some that were believers do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather he says in humility value others above yourselves. Hmm. verse 4 he says not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others we live in a world in a culture that doesn't champion that. We live in a world and a culture that champions looking out for your own interests. It's about us, it's about me. I don't really care about you, but Paul says no we ought to be looking for each other's interests. And what I'm noticing is that fear and uncertainty is causing us to become more and more distrusting. I'm noticing that 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 what's happening here is that there is a spirit of suspicion that is just penetrating even the ranks. And the more afraid we get, the more walls we build. I'm seeing walls of pride going up. I'm seeing stubbornness, stubborn walls of hurt and resentment. Vulnerable walls of self-dependence. And I don't really need you. we don't need each other. I can do it on my own. Guarded walls of apprehension and distrust. And yet, it is very clear to me from the Bible that our charge is to tear down the walls that divide us. To echo Robert Frost's poem when he said, Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under and it spills the upper boulder in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass. Something there is that does not love a wall. There's something in me that actually is beginning to hate walls. And as believers I am convinced that we have this this charge to break down those walls those barriers amongst us. Our job is to break those barriers. Our job is to to move forward and figure out how can we help each other and how can we influence each other towards good and for the kingdom of God. Now I know that even as believers, we have distinct experiences. We have different perspectives. We are married to those perspectives. They're they're part of us. Losing part of that perspective is like losing an eye or or a hand. It's, It's who we are. We have diverse ideologies. Uh, I live in Seattle, or or, excuse me, I live in Washington State where everybody goes for the Seattle Seahawks, but I'm from New York, I go for the Giants. We root for different teams. We have different political preferences. We have different ideologies. And it's okay. In fact, it is this wide assorted spectrum of viewpoints that, that can have the potential to enrich us, to empower us. But as believers, we cannot let it divide us. I love the advice that Paul gives young Timothy. I think if, if, if Timothy was living today, this would be kind of what I would call social media advice. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23 and 24, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Can I tell you how many times I'll look on Facebook or, or, or another social media and I'm just hearing foolish and stupid arguments. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You see, the moment we engage in those quarrels, Now, now, all of a sudden, people take sides. There is this us and them mentality. And we no longer have the privilege of influencing. And I've seen this happen. And it's terrible. And Jesus Himself, knowing the destructive power of discord, says these words in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. It says, Blessed, blessed are those, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. I am sure that the Jewish zealots in the crowd that day must have thought, what a delusional pacifist. I mean, he's selling us out. How on earth can you be peaceful with these tyrannical Romans? Why, what is he, where is he coming from? I thought he was going to be the Messiah. Why would he say this? Rome was the big brother with their hands heavily in the pockets of the Jews in those days. You can imagine the glaring stares, the raised eyebrows that Jesus must have received when speaking such peaceful words in the midst of non-peaceful hearts. And no matter the stares, his words were fixed, on reaching farther and deeper than the cause of the Jewish zealots, or the enforced peace that the Romans were trying to bring. What was Jesus getting at here? See, I believe that his aim was at the hearts, the minds and souls of men and women seeking greater comfort than any temporal, enforced, earthly peace. In fact, the Bible calls it the peace that passes understanding. True peace comes from an awareness of that greater conflict, that greater universal conflict that we talked about at the beginning, which spurs this deep desire, it should, true believers should have this deep desire to defend, most of all, more than anything else, the cause of God. Not our personal causes. I mean, we are Christians first and everything else second. I know this personally. At times in my life, when I've had to make some difficult decisions for the cause of God, there's this great story in the book of Genesis. It comes after Abraham was called to leave the land of Ur, And he took his family and he took his flock and he took his nephew Lot and he gave his nephew Lot some, some of his flock and they took some herdsmen with them and they began to make their way, as we've talked about often, going not knowing, going not knowing. We read about it in Genesis chapter 13 verses 5 through 9, follow with me, it says, Now Lot who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Uncle Abram made him rich. It says, But the land could not support them while they stayed together. Don't miss this. This was a circumstance that they had no control over. They were growing. This, they were being blessed by God. Their flocks were growing, but the land could not support them both, it says for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And it says this in verse 7, now catch this, because you could easily miss it, if you're not careful, it says, and quarreling, what we've been told not to do, quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. And then there was this weird sentence in the middle of all this. And i got to be honest with you, when I read this the first time, I'm, I'm from New York, I'm thinking, oh wow, quarrel, there's a fight, fight, there's a fight going on, man, it's going to be good, right? But then he, th- he throws this, like, I-, I never understood this. Why sometimes the Bible throws these sentences in. But I finally got this one. Here's what it says. There was this fight happening, and then it says, the Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land at that time. Who cares? Like, why are you telling me about that? Except for the very next word, the very next word tells us something really important, and if we we could easily miss it if we if we read this too too fast. Here's what it says: So, the Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land. So, therefore, because of that, Abram said to Lot, "Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herders." and mine. For we are close relatives." In other words, what Abraham was saying is, well, wait wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This has got to stop. We are being watched. People are observing us. We've been telling these people about the one only true God that called us out of the land of Ur. They know that we are family. They know we're in this together. So we've got to stop the fighting because we are being watched. Are you catching this? And This is unbelievable. In fact, it is so amazing that Abraham does something that we would rarely champion in this day and age. But I love this because I believe this really truly is an example of amazing desire to defend God's cause. Abraham, who made Lot rich, says, Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Are you catching this? In other words, what Abraham was saying is, I am willing to give up my right. Me, Uncle Abraham, who made you rich, I am willing to give up my right to the best piece of land for the cause of God. So that there would be no quarrel amongst us. Wow. I don't know about you, but when I first read this and I and I got it, it, it just it, I, I had chills up my spine. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll find out that that, that Lot took Abraham up, Uncle Abram up on his offer and decided said, yep, I'll go to this part right here by this wonderful, these two towns. I'll I'll do much better business wise, you know. The two towns were called Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know the story, or if you read on, you're going to find out that God had to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. And Lot barely escaped with his life. But that was what he chose. And Abraham went To another fertile part of the land and did the best he could with his flock. In a monologue from William Shakespeare's, As You Like It, these words are spoken, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. I believe that all of us as Christians, as believers, we are being watched You may not think so, but trust me we are. People are wondering, what is this ritual in church like? Can they rise above the different perspectives, the different ideologies, the different things that are happening in this world and stick together? Not only people, but I believe the universe is watching. Check this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles or believers, whatever word you want to use, on display. You catching that? All the world's a stage. On display. At the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle, a show to the whole universe. To the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. In other words, what Paul was saying is, we are being observed, we're being watched. Everybody's eyes are on us, as believers. What are we saying about God to those who are watching us, to the Canaanites and the parasites in the land, and to angels, he says. In Ephesians chapter 3, He says it this way, verses 10 and 11. He says, his intent, his purpose, his reason was that now, through the church, that's us, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Are you catching this? We get the privilege of expressing the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And he says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This theme is all throughout the Bible. The imagery is used in different ways to get the point across. In another letter he says, we are letters written by God and another one he says we are ambassadors for Christ we are representing we have the privilege to represent God and how do we do that when Jesus says by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you what have love for one another and that love has to rise above our differences It is okay to be different and it is okay to have different perspectives and if we can listen to each other and respect each other's perspectives and differences maybe we can be enriched and maybe we can grow but more than anything else we will be defending the cause of God. Unbelievable as it may seem insignificant as you may feel God has intentionally chosen you and I to defend his honor. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm so honored by God to choose me to do something like that. So it's easy to be in harmony when all is well. But what I'm noticing is that during these very difficult times, these very crazy and uncertain times, is becoming much more difficult. And I think these are the times that we need to really step up and say to the world, no, 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 we are still all in concert, in one, under the direction of one conductor, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is not a time to play any discordant notes. The American Civil War Had created some very deep divisions between the North and the South. Some favored slavery in two separate nations. Others fought for freedom and unity and other ideologies and other reasons. And it may be hard to imagine but the issues also divided many families in the Civil War era. Some family members fought for the Union while others in that same family for the Confederacy. The war brought on more than 600,000 American casualties. 600,000. In many of those deadly battles we are told that brother fought against their own brother. And on early June morning in 1862 two brothers that had immigrated from Scotland were fighting for their lives on a South Carolina battlefield. Alexander and James Campbell and they were fighting on opposite sides of the battle. It wasn't until the battle of Successionville was over that they learned that they had been on opposite side of the same battlefield. In fact, a letter that Alexander wrote James went like this I was astonished to hear from the prisoners that you was color bearer of the regiment that assaulted the battery at this point the other day I was in the breast working during the whole engagement doing my best to beat you but I hope that you and I will never again meet face to face as bitter enemies on the battlefield And then he says these words, But if such should be the case, you have but to discharge your duty to your cause. For I can assure you, I will strive to discharge my duty to my country and my cause. In other words, what Alexander was saying to James is, I'm willing to kill you for the cause of my country. Thankfully we are told they never met again in the battlefield. But what a tragedy it would have been to have made the decision to sacrifice their family name on the altar of cause and ideology. I'm telling you friends, we need to think this through a little bit. In the next several weeks we're going to be discussing this from different perspectives and different viewpoints so that we can Make sure that we deal with this head on. I'm not going to lie to you. As I watch what's happening in the world and as as I watch what's happening with some of our congregation, I'm worried, I'm concerned. Because I love you. And we love each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is so very important. As we explore this topic, may we gain the strength and wisdom to never allow our differences to divide us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ first and foremost. Do you believe me? Do you agree? I hope you do. We should do everything we can to defend his name and his cause above all else. And as Abraham said to Lot, let there be no quarreling amongst us, for we are being watched. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord I pray for strength, I pray for courage, I pray for the ability Lord to to passionately defend your cause, to respect each other's differences and respect each other's perspectives and viewpoints, but do not let those get in the way of our love for you and for each other. May we be a beacon of light and hope to those around us that Christians are above all of that. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm an awesome, awesome Sabbath church. God bless.